0: From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 52. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Build It Beautiful, Hover, Simplified Domain Management, and Fracture. Photos printed in vivid color directly on glass. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. And Mr. Federico Vettigi. Hey, guys. Hey, Federico. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. I missed you. I, I missed uh, Stephen's sweet southern accent last week.
2: Whoa. What
1: yeah.
0: about me? Well, you are kind of, you know... <laughs> you are hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I,
1: mean. I, I kind of missed you. No, am joking. <laughs> I, I missed you too, Mike. It's just that Stephen has the voice of an adult, whereas you're more like, you know, when you watch like a TV show and you can tell it's not an American TV show, that's kind of what you are. Wow. Like, you know, those TV shows on MTV they come from the uk i'm just kidding i don't know why i say that i love you too mike it's good to be back thanks are you
0: upset well, i'm not upset no not completely
1: mm, not completely i wonder what it'll take me for me to upset you completely are you even capable of being completely upset i don't yes. know if people in the uk can be completely upset
0: well whether people in the uk can or can't i am very capable of being completely mm. up there, <laughs> <No. laughs> there are there are okay. but few people who have managed to do it. Uh, mm. But those people, uh, they know about it, and they're all dead. So I'm I'm
1: back this week, <laughs> but I'll miss you guys next week. But yeah. I'll be on vacation. I'll be thinking of you and sending you pictures and Instagrams of the sweet sweet food that I will get to eat during my vacation.
0: I feel like I'm missing out. Uh, on, it, on Italian summers here because you just got back from vacation and yes. you're going on another vacation well
1: the thing about Italians and the summer is that we have a culture for going to the beach from June to after the 15th of August <laughs> really um, this is really ingrained in our culture Italians need to go to the beach as often as possible And since I was a kid, basically our school system is structured in a way that uh, school ends around the 10th or usually like the 12th of June and resumes basically in the first week of September. And in those three months we got to do nothing. I don't know if it's the same in other countries. It, that's the way that it works in Italy. So in those three months, when you're a kid, you, you're on vacation for three months. And you're given like uh like summer uh summer home homework, that kind of stuff. You gotta read the book, but nobody really ever does that. Uh so I never I never did my homework for the summer. And because my parents had beach house, I would go there for three months. And in general, Italians, every single weekend of the summer, if they are close to the beach, and by close, I mean like an hour, maybe a couple of hours, they tend to go there because it's what you do in the summer. And especially in the month of August, uh, from the the first day to the 15th, which is a national holiday here, uh, every Italian goes on vacation, really. And... the, the recession has been especially problematic for us, of course, in the past few years. But even during the, the, the economic recession, we try to at least go on one vacation, one real vacation. So I'm lucky enough to have the beach house. But when I was younger, my parents and I, we would go on two three vacations because Italy, economically speaking, we were in a really good spot. These days... Most Italians I would I would say if they can afford to, they go on a single vacation, maybe just like a couple of days, but especially for the fifteenth of August, uh either you go to the beach or you go on vacation. And I guess it's the the, the the a great thing of being in Italy is that unless you live in the in the northern part of Italy, the beach is always pretty close. So uh it's 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 a great being here, you know. And the food is fantastic, and the beach is awesome, so, you know. It's always been a problem for me, actually, working from home, you know, carrying my work around. But, uh, you know, thanks to the iPad, I can be anywhere I want. I just cannot record the shows because I cannot use the microphone with the iPad. Please don't send us feedback about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're on this train now. We should do some follow-up. What kind of train? The idea of you you also don't won't record on the iPad.
1: Oh, yes. Yes, that's... um, Well, maybe with the iPad Pro,
2: you know? Could record on a new MacBook. Mm Hmm. Mm -hmm. (coughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Follow-up. We've been speaking (laughs) about watchOS 2. We spoke last week about my uh, watch review and the fact that apps are slow and that perhaps is coloring at least my impressions and maybe the impressions of others of what third-party apps could be. And... We asked, you know, the question of who is telling people that watch OS two will be faster. And uh, according to Chris on Twitter, uh, Apple Retail is telling people that watch OS two will be faster. I have not experienced this uh, firsthand, but I could see that if you know people are complaining at the Genius Bar or uh, to an Apple Store employee, that they would say, "Hey, you know, it's gonna gonna be better real soon. Hang in there. Um, you know, it's a uh, mm-hmm. dawn. A new dawn is coming." If you this will. this feels mm. like.
0: A maverick Apple Store employee rather than company policy. Pro, I had that thought as
2: well. General, generally, at least uh, in my experience, you weren't supposed to really discuss future releases, even, <laughs> even for a period, even if it was on Apple's website. It's like, well, it's not in the store. I can't show it to you. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think that, but then I think, you know, Apple is a different company than it was eight years ago and is. More open and more conversational uh, in nature than it used to be. So maybe this is going on. Uh, I did not get a chance to ask my retail birdies if they if there was anything official about this, but um, it does it does lead to some questions I have about watch OS two. Um, you guys are both running iOS nine on your phones, correct? Yes. Yes. Does it does it is there any sort of like at this point at least, any sort of alert or notification saying, hey, you can update your watch or is it treated as a very separate thing?
1: The the installation process for watchOS 2 on the beta is, I wouldn't say hell, but like, what's between earth and hell? That's what watchOS 2 Installation d- developer thing is it's very annoying. Basically, there's no prompt, there's no dialogue. You just get like a refreshed um, Apple Watch app that's got a bunch of more settings. Like there's a complications setting, uh, there's a bunch of new options. But otherwise, you wouldn't be able to tell that it's a that it requires a different version of watchOS. To install watchOS, you need to go to the developer website log into the device management portal, you need to enter the unique identifier of of your Apple Watch which to find, you need to download the better version of Xcode, connect your iPhone and you'll get the, the the paired information of the paired Apple Watch, then you will get the identifier, paste it into the website, then you need to download a certificate that you need to install on your phone by mailing the certificate to yourself and Tap it on the mail app. Then you will download (laughs) this. No, 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 I'm not done. Then you will (laughs) down. You will install this certificate. Which one? install the beta on your watch but this file will simply tell the Apple Watch app on iOS 9 that you can download the watchOS 2 beta on your device. So you go to the Apple Watch app settings, you do the software update, you find the watchOS 2 developer seed you download it, you wait for it to install on your Apple Watch, which takes about an hour, then the Apple Watch reboots and you're on watchOS 2 beta and you gotta do this, the certificate thing, every time there's a new watch os beta seed and you cannot downgrade to a previous version of watch os so if you if you do something wrong or if your apple watch breaks you need to literally mail the phone to apple which will send you back a version running WatchOS one hopefully the, the final so, process will be a little smoother the reason the reason i
0: laugh oh, yeah. like that right is because uh, up until the point where you said about emailing a certificate to yourself or emailing a link to yourself that's very similar to how you used to have to install the iOS yes. betas, yeah. right? But yeah. Well, it's
2: still that way if you have the developer build. You still have to give them your um, uh, UUID because uh, I've got it on my iPad. And I'm Not the public beta, but the developer build. So that process is the same, uh, at least um, on that side of things.
0: I don't- a little bit... I don't know because I didn't do that with my iPad Air too. I just went into iTunes. you run the public beta's. Nope, I'm running the. Oh uh, wait, mm. no. Mike is no, a developer. D- developer don't beta. You know? I'm on the developer beta. Yeah. At some point, Mike you could...
2: it, at some point it, you tied your ID to your at least to your Apple ID. Maybe that's more automatic now. I put mine in manually and it worked, but um, yeah. Hopefully that'll be better. I mean, I think when mm-hmm. iOS nine ships, uh, I just I wonder how. They will push watch OS 2 if it'll be, you saw iOS 9, then you get a notification saying, hey, there's a watch update as well, or surely it won't be automatically done. But I, I kind of wonder what that process will be like for people. But, um... Yeah. yeah anyways.
1: I, I feel like they'll just get a badge on the Apple Watch app, like you get a badge on the settings yeah. app uh, when there's a new software update. Yeah, but so I'm really guys- liking Watch OS 2 personally, so I'm kind of excited to... to, to to get betas from developers because i i still haven't tried any mm, third-party complication i only have like two betas of uh, watch os2 apps they're really faster actually uh so apple retail if it's true it, they're right it, it is faster but i i still want to try the complication stuff the time travel feature but yeah i'm excited
2: cool uh we spoke last week about uh my pair of next stations um so there's a follow up photo in the show notes of it sitting underneath my 27 inch display, and uh, I got a couple of emails, <laughs> people asking what Next Station was. So I've also included a link to Wikipedia. It was uh, the first hardware built by Next, the company that Apple or uh, Steve Jobs founded after leaving Apple, and uh, it's um, it's actually a pretty pretty cool machine. It's it's black. It's it's none more black. Um, uh, the inside, I took the the top off of it, and everything is as neat and orderly as you can imagine, like as clean as Steve jobs would one, a computer on the inside. This thing is, is uh, everything is in straight lines and it's very clean. It's, it's actually very impressive for being as old as it is. Um, so that's now here on my desk. You can see a picture of that, uh, if you visit the show notes, which could be found where Federico,
1: they can be found at relay.fm. That's the website. Um, Slash connected, which is the name of the show, slash, and then you gotta, you gotta use, um, you know, numbers, uh, five and two, which would be 52, which is the number of the episode. I recently nice. discovered why numbers are shaped like numbers. There was a photo on Twitter showing how, uh, you know, these are called like, um, Arabic numbers, the ones that we use. And, uh, basically it's like, if you look at the shapes of the numbers, uh the 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 number of angles in each shape is the number. So like the 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 shape of the 5 has five angles, the shape of the 7 has seven possible angles. Was super fascinating to discover, you know? But yes, 52. That's the episode.
2: 52. Uh and finally, <laughs> we want to uh draw attention to a a relay blog post, Mike. Do you want to explain what we're going to be doing next week?
0: Yep. So next week, um, on the eighteenth, which is next Tuesday, will be Relay FM's one-year anniversary. Um, so to mark that, uh, after this show broadcasts live next week, um, so around 1.15 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, me and Stephen are going to be doing a uh, live Q&A session where we're going to talk about Relay FM, what it's meant to us, and answer a bunch of questions that people are submitting. This will be available uh, via our B-Sides feed. I'll put a link in the show notes to both of these things so you'll be able to get to them, them both so you can find out when to listen live and then also to to listen on demand, Uh, but we are uh, asking for questions uh, about Relay and related things uh, via the use of the hashtag, hashtag RelayQA, Um, and if you could do that, that would be awesome, so we can have some questions from you guys that we're going to address as the owners of this lovely company um, on our little stream that we're going to do next week um, to kind of commemorate the fact that we are one year old. I think the first time we did this was in the first week. Um and then this is the yeah. second time. Cool.
1: Do you know how they say that like um a dog ear corresponds to like seven human ears? Yeah. What does a what does a relay ear correspond to? One
0: human ear.
1: Mm. That's too <laughs> bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I kind of wanted to imagine relay as a as a as a cute puppy. But well, you can okay. still do that.
2: mm no. Does that mean your,
1: your, your view your view on, on on ears is very much pragmatic, Mike. That's I, I can sorry. I can respect that. I, I respect oh, that.
0: Mike. Good, I'm pleased. Well yeah. also, like one year is the same as seven dog years, one relay year is the same as seven dog years. So it's kind of similar in that regard. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a break here. This week's episode is brought to you by Fracture. Fracture is a company that I love who do something that I think is really cool. Uh, They are transforming the way that people print and display their favorite images. They do this by printing your photos directly onto a sheet of glass. You just go to FractureMe.com and you upload a photo to them. Uh, You can choose the size that you want. They do a bunch of square sizes and rectangle sizes. And then what they will send to you in the post from their great little uh, factory and their team that they have over in Florida, uh, they will send to you a great, great print. Now, what I like about fracture prints is that they look like something... You've never seen before, which sound, kind of sounds strange, right? Everybody knows what a picture on the wall in a frame looks like, right? Yeah, we all know what that looks like, but this is not what a fracture print looks like. Because when you look at a picture in a frame, you see the picture and then you see some like backing, like, you know, like the white stuff that goes around the, the, the picture or that is set into, and then like a frame, maybe a metal frame or a wooden frame or something like that. But if, with a fracture print, there is no frame. What gets put on the wall is the picture. There's nothing that goes around it, there's nothing that is other than that picture with a piece of glass on top of it. And it really brings uh, a different life to your photos. It draws attention to them in a different way. It really makes them pop when they're on the on the wall. Uh, they look fantastic. The colors look great. They do a great job of doing that to make sure that the colors are nice uh, and bright and, and vivid. It's really, really good looking. And, and I really love them. I have a bunch of fractures of my own. Um, I've done some podcast artwork stuff. I've had some sent to me as gifts. Uh, I know many people that have them as pictures that they love, their family, their friends, that kind of stuff, and Fracture do a great job of making this process super simple. They're packaged really well. I've had them shipped from the US to me with no problems at all. They've all come out absolutely fantastic. Uh, I have bought them as gifts. I bought one for Stephen. I've bought uh, Fractures for other people as well. They're a great gift idea, but they're also a great way to surface some pictures that may otherwise get lost into you know, Instagram or just lost in the photos app somewhere and puts them front and center at home so you can get your own fracture uh, with prices starting at just $15 so they're not going to break the bank and it makes some really affordable gift items as well and you can also help support this show and get 15% off if you use the coupon code connected at checkout just go to fractureme.com to get started thank you so much to fracture for their support of relay fm
2: sweet so uh, up first today, we have uh, a rumor about Force Touch coming to the next iPhone, which of course we've talked about, uh, and everyone has been talking about a good bit since its debut on the Watch and the MacBook Pro earlier this year. Uh, but Nine to Five Mac has a new report out yesterday saying that it is coming to the next phone. And uh, what's interesting about this, it, the report gives some some use cases, so things like context context aware information. Uh, in maps or uh, shortcuts into applications. I think the example given is if I force touch on the phone icon, I could jump straight to visual voicemail, which are my favorites. Um, I want to see what you guys thought about this, you know, adding another, literally, literally another dimension, another layer of UI uh, on top of iOS and kind of see what y'all, what y'all think this could mean. I have many thoughts about this. I mean, on the watch...
1: At least based on my personal experience it is very nice to be able to first touch and like perform shortcuts or get a different view i just worry whether such feature would be too hidden to most people on ios as much as other features that are supposedly time saving or shortcuts like extensions or like widgets whether they can be easily discovered by people and uh, this is my my primary concern being it's a very nice integration it's very nice technology and it makes you save time only most people don't care about about it to about it enough to remember it now it could also be that the that I'm comparing the kind of geeky feature like extensions or like widgets to something that could be more appealing to consumers and looking at the report from 9to5Mac, the idea how the idea of, like, force touching uh, an app icon on the home screen to get to a specific view of the app, kind of plays well together with the idea of deep links and getting to specific views of an app that's a central theme of iOS 9, so it wouldn't be too surprising. I wonder if that kind of feature would be customizable by the user, so if you will let me say okay, when I first touch the Maps icon I want to get directions to go home or maybe I want to get directions to this other place or if I first touch the Calendar icon I want to I wanna see what's coming up today or maybe another user would say i want to open this family calendar so i i wonder if it's going to be configurable from a user's perspective the other concern that i have is a physical one because the watch you just turn your wrist and it's a really small screen and you can just you know, press the finger in the middle of the display, re- literally anywhere, and you, and you get the force touch menu. But the iPhone, and especially the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus are two big screens. So I wonder, you know, this kind of force touch functionality. What happens when you need to force touch on, a, on a part of the display that's really out of reach? You, you really need to use two hands. I mean, most people need to use two hands, but I'm just struggling to imagine, like, What happens if I first touch on the six plus and it falls out of my hand because I press too strongly and because the Mm -hmm. six plus is too big, it just slips away. I mean, people are, you know, having issues with the, with the slippery edges of the, the iPhone 6 and the six plus as it is. Imagine another dimension with a, with a feature that according to Mark Gurman can make a menu appear anywhere on screen. So it's not like the Apple watch where you force touch and the same menu in the same position comes up every time. Here it's more similar to a right click on a desktop computer, depending on where you force touch, you get a different output. So it'll be interesting to see on a big phone, like the, the physics of the feature and, you know, how users can interact with it. I'm also, I'm also concerned about, you know, is it going to be a developer feature? Is it going to be just for Apple apps initially? If history is of an indication that will be a developer API because when Apple introduced Force Touch on OS 10, they had a developer seed with the first four Touch APIs right away. So it wouldn't be surprising to see developers being able to program their apps with four Touch shortcuts. I'm just, you know, it sounds great in theory. I'm just curious and maybe a little bit concerned when it comes to when it comes to the the flexibility from a software perspective and the practicality when it comes to holding the iPhone and also performing the force touch. When I was imagining the feature, I thought it'll be nice when I'm holding the device with one hand, if, you know, force touch only happens across the bottom of the display. So I can use my thumb to force touch and it feels more natural. But in thinking thinking about it In that way, it doesn't make sense to only only have force touch on the lower end of the screen. So it'll be a full screen thing. I'm just curious to see how it'll work in practice.
0: I have some uh, concerns about the idea of force touch on iOS. Um, One of the main ones being that I think it will add uh, a layer of complexity to UI, uh, which isn't currently there. Um, and may cause problems for as many things as it will be useful. So Force Touch uh, and the idea of hiding a menu behind Force Touch was created for the Apple Watch because it there isn't enough screen real estate to have all the buttons that you may need, right? So they, they created Force Touch as a way to, to give you access to some buttons and functions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's already confusing enough um, on the Apple Watch because it's not... Apparent where the buttons are, right? So you just like will hold down and hope that maybe what you're looking for is hidden away under the force touch menu. And I feel my fear feeling would be, uh, and my concern is that there will now be things hidden under a menu that you don't know, right? So like the on the iPhone, there'll be like, all oh, this this function that you want is hidden behind a force touch that you need to do on this certain area um, of the display. Uh, my, other, my other concern uh, is that it will be like an excuse for th- to to hide things away or to add in features that you may otherwise not consider. So like you may find developers chucking a bunch of stuff into their apps because they can hide it behind false touch, you know, like a bunch of different features that they would otherwise not do because they would need to add a piece of, that need to add a button, right? So to stop the clutter of their application, they wouldn't add it. But now they may just put it behind false touch and, and I'm concerned that it's going to become like a junk drawer of stuff that you can hide away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that And I think both of those things, they're, they're both like complexity coming from a different angle. But that is my concern, that there's going to be functionality you can't find and that when you do uh, use false touch, there's going to be a bunch of stuff in there that otherwise would have been left out for the sake of not trying to make an app too complex
2: you saw a lot of that on android with the the menu button so the it's 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 been downplayed a lot over the years but um, uh, like back you know earlier versus android you had many phones that had a hardware menu button and developers would uh, have access to that and they would put a lot of uh, things um, behind that so say that you were in um, a Twitter client or an RSS app, you know things like mark all as read, or favorite, or reply, or retweet would be not visible as as bits of UI as buttons, but be behind this menu button. So you had to have, uh, you know, knowledge that oh, well, I don't see this; it must be tucked, you know, behind this this single interaction. And I think to y'all's to both your points, that is confusing. I mean, I, just a couple of uh, days ago, really. Uh, talking to somebody who had a watch and and she was complaining that she had to remove her notifications one at a time i was like oh well just force touching clear all and she was like she was like what i was like you know she she did, didn't even think to try it and on the watch i think force touch is pretty obvious maybe more obvious than it will be on something like the phone because you know with the watch you get that instant like feedback, like you're pushing through the screen and it taps you on the backside on your wrist. And it's a very one-to-one type thing. And and what, what I told, what I told my friend was like, you should like when in doubt, try to force touch because it's, it's very much uh, a hit or miss thing. You know, sometimes apps use it more than others and not even all of Apple's apps support it really in the same way. And I really worry that on the phone, that's going to be a lot worse and be potentially more confusing. And, you know, people are going to be like, well, this Twitter app is is bogus. I can't retweet. Well, that's because it's behind a force touch, you know. And so I think think that's problematic. And I think it was problematic on Android for a long time. I think what is more... uh, I don't know if it's more problematic or, or makes it potentially better is that if you are a developer and you rely on something being behind a force touch that is not visible otherwise well that's only going to be available to you on the newest phones so we might have this period of time where force touch really isn't used very heavily or it's used for extremely secondary type things and then you know maybe in 5 years when you know you could say well you know basically all the iPhones out there support this You know, maybe this isn't an immediate problem. Maybe it's a problem down the road, uh, which I think is is sort of an interesting way to look at it. It being tied to hardware means that you can't rely on all of your users having it, at least at this point.
1: I wonder if the problem of developers kind of using force touch as an excuse to hide menus and options that would usually be accessed through buttons in the interface, would be fixable by having accessibility settings. Um, Because the the entire force touch idea has, I think, huge accessibility implications. And I wonder if for some users it'll be preferable not to have force touch you know, users with motor impairments and other, you know, other reasons why they cannot use, they cannot apply pressure on a screen. I wonder if saying with an accessibility setting screen, saying never enable force touch shortcuts for me would basically offer developers an API to say, okay, you can either use force touch or you can use a regular button that you see in the UI. You can tap normally. Also, It seems like a lot of people are saying that Force, and even we are saying, that Force Touch is going to be another dimension of software on on the iPhone and presumably the iPad. And I remember when Siri was announced for the iPhone 4S, all of us, we said, well, of course, voice control is the next layer, the next dimension of iOS. And... Siri came out four years ago, and it's for you know it's it's a very nice addition to the iPhone and the ipad and it's a it's one of the primary ways that we interact with the Apple watch, but it still hasn't become a possible replacement for touch it's an option, but I wouldn't say it's a complete new dimension now, I wonder we're gonna say though. When force touch comes to the iPhone and the iPad, we're going to say again, this is a new layer. This is a new dimension. And I wonder if this is, this will be more true for force touch than it has been for Siri. Because the I job so. that Siri, because the, the job that Siri needs to accomplish is very complex. You know, natural language, you know, third party app integration, that's uh, network conditions. That's really, a really a complex problem. Force touch. It's just physical input, right? And I wonder if four to five years from now, we will see the introduction of Force Touch as truly the next dimension of the devices that we use. Imagine an iPhone that doesn't have a home button and just uses Force Touch for physical input and pressure on the screen. And I wonder if the implications long-term for Force Touch will be more... Easily appreciated than you know Siri and voice input.
0: I think there are uh, a bunch of differences though, like backwards and forwards for this. Like that, force touch and Siri are different because Siri is like a, it's like another part of the phone. It, it didn't add to the existing apps or experiences that we use in the same kind of way um, as it does on. The watch right because on the watch it replaces just flat out replaces the main input method um so it's kind of nothing you can do other than use it uh but like siri it was like an apple feature and still is an apple feature like developers can't really do anything with it it's not really an interaction method on the phone uh that is in the same kind of way as force touch but force touch is like it, it's, uh, it's something that will most likely be for developers it is additions to existing apps rather than like a separate thing am I making sense? Mm-hmm. yeah so I think it will be different in that kind of regard and I think I don't know if like false touch is going to be groundbreaking really like I'm kind of a little bit like I guess they're kind of just doing it because then it will be on all the product lines it's like a marketing thing like like how they create uh, retina displays for everything even though it's all very different device to device
1: I think it will be pretty important on on the on the iPad
0: but for because a different for reason though that's what i'm saying for a different
1: I mean. reason yeah yeah for sure and uh, like, I'm thinking about iOS 9 and on the iPad, you know, there's a rumor of a, of an Apple Pen coming to the iPad. So a stylus that uses pressure. So that's one thing for sure. I mean, pressure, sensitivity with a stylus, that's very important. And Force Touch could enable that. But also when you consider some iOS 9 features coming to the iPad, like there's a split view multitasking and you cannot do drag and drop between two apps in split view. And I wonder if Force Touch could be really a new dimension in that regard, that it lets you operate, you know, different, you know, lets you grab, literally grab data with your hand and push it to another part of the screen, giving you feedback in the process. So on the iPad, I guess it could have, so this this is just a theory, it could have some pretty big implications. Short term on the iPhone, I don't know. I don't know, because it seems like a nice shortcut, but will it be groundbreaking from the get-go on the iPhone? I don't know.
0: Also like going back to mentioning about the iPad again. I think this is where like the marketing stuff kind of gets a bit confusing because what they'll be kind of calling a bunch of different types of technologies force touch and that's mm-hmm. where things get a bit weird, right? So force touch on the laptops is different to force touch on the watch. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're actually kind of different technology, they do different things, because like, you know, on the on the laptops, it judges pressure and then gives you the tap back as opposed to whatever it's doing on the watch where right, it's kind of doing some different stuff. But it's just like that one dimensional. You press this, you get a button and then whatever it will be on the phones is one thing. But then force touch on a new big iPad that has a pen will be what they're calling it but it's going to be underlined in different technology because let's say for example they call force touch on the 12-inch iPad uh they call it force touch and force touch allows you to use a pen you won't be able to take that pen and use it on other devices it's like it won't it won't be force touch as a thing that will allow you to do that because from my understanding of this sort of stuff is it will require a, a, a like a different digitizer to allow for the sensitivity of the pen, but also for there to be the ability for the pen to be read, like for there to be more pixels for it to be read on or however that works. And I'm talking very general because I don't fully understand it. But if they call that force touch, it's not going to be the same kind of force touch if what they're doing is changing the digitizer. So there's more like pixel pressure and there's more pixels to be able to be read by the digitizer. If like that's enhanced, I, I, I'm a l- I'm running circles around myself a little bit just as a way to try and explain that like I think that th- they will be different because the pen won't work everywhere. The pen will work on that iPad that they've increased the sensitivity in, but it won't be the same force touch as there may be on the iPad Air if that doesn't have a pen, or that will be on the iPhone, or that will be on the MacBook, or that will be on the Watch. They'll be branding it up differently, like how the retina display they call many different devices retina exactly um even though it's all completely different pixel uh,
1: i was exactly about to say that
0: (laughs) so like it's it's like it but this but the thing with the retina display is you just know retina display means good display right yeah um but but force touch will be the same thing but it will actually be doing different things in different places
1: yeah, it'll mean pressure. It'll mean feedback. You know that kind of stuff. I guess they're going for. I don't know.
2: It's it's messy, but like you guys say with the running display, and there's you know other examples as well where you know, Apple reuses names and and the idea of it being hey you, uh you know the the general idea of you apply pressure to the the interface, whether the interface be a trackpad or a piece of glass or a watch, and you get. More UI. I mean, I think in, in broad terms, I think it works. It is. It is interesting, you know, the, the pen stuff. I'm not. I'm not sold on them. If they do, if they drew a truly pressure sensitive with like, you know, lots of pressure layers, um, I don't know if they would call that Force Touch or not. But it you know, I, I do think that the iPad Pro stuff, which is, it sort of tacked on into the end of this article. I actually missed it because I just skimmed this the first time I read it. Mm-hmm and then people were like oh they mentions the big ipad and the pen see two big ipads um <laughs> kind of like how it was folded in there uh, so it seems like we are on track to see you know maybe force touch and pen input whatever that would look like uh this fall from uh from the ipad line so it, it overall it's i think what's most interesting to me beyond the details of this is that ios is becoming uh, more complex. It is becoming more um, potentially much more powerful in certain ways, uh, especially with the pen stuff. That's going to open up a whole new world of of possibilities for a certain type of user. And so that's all really exciting because iOS is, I mean, more or less is the same sort of user interface and same sort of user interaction that's always been. You know, they, they've added stuff to the you know to the button, right? So you have like reachability and you have Siri and that sort of stuff, but they're kind of out of out of things to do with that home button, and so they, you know, moving uh, force touch uh, to the phone and the iPad seems like a logical extension of of what they've already done.
0: I did just want to make one last point, which, and I've given this time, you know, we're months in now, but I just don't like jamming my finger into a display. I find force touch uncomfortable on the watch. Um, I don't think it feels very nice to use uh, and I don't like the idea of using it everywhere just because of the way it feels. It may bring util- utility. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I think it's a very uncomfortable gesture like to just jam my finger into a display that doesn't move. Like It doesn't feel like anything's moving to me. Like, uh,
1: it would be better if the interface moved really like if it'll be more organic you know what i'm saying like like you press and you see like little ripples around the, the ui that kind of stuff it ah. feels very static at the moment like you just jam your finger there's menu
0: i don't mean like feels as in like from a ui perspective mm. i just physically don't like the way no, it no. feels on my finger did you oh, okay do no
1: no i'm i think i'm good but from that point of view
0: yeah, I just don't like it. It's just kind of uncomfortable. Like you just... Because as well, like there isn't... Because it's not a button there, and and it's like ses- sensitivity and pressure. There isn't like, and you must press this much, right? Like sometimes I feel like I'm doing what I need to do, but it's not working. But it's because I haven't pushed the amount that you need to push. But I think I have, but I haven't. So because it's really the, like
1: a random pressure lottery. Yeah.
0: Which is how it feels. I mean, obviously, that's not the case. Like, it's—I'm sure—it's hard coded in a lot of math yeah. to make that happen. But to my brain, it's like you must push, but you know, you don't know how much you need to push. Which is why, like, I can't get, and I've never been able to get the uh, on the force the, the touch trackpads. Whenever I've tried one out, I've never been able to get that to work for me properly. Like this multi-level of pressure that people talk about being able to do i've never been able to get it to work like i can't seem to control it like the idea of like you can slow it down and speed it up i've never been able mm. to do that
1: a way to test it is you got to be really careful but you can force touch on the on the watch face and if if you change your pressure constantly it's very subtle but if you try to you can see the watch face kind of receding in the background and then coming forwards oh, as yeah. you change the pressure level
0: yeah i just tried that You can control that actually. But like, I'm struggling to do that multiple times. Yeah, it's very, it's,
1: it is difficult. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I can see that. You can, you can kind of make it go in and come away. Exactly.
1: Like, you gotta press just slightly harder than you would normally press the screen. And then if you really jam your finger, you get the haptic feedback and the, and the module or, or whatever watch face you see, the setting screen for the watch face
0: in a few years time nobody's going to be able to feel things as we've all crushed up the nerve endings in our fingertips <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: we're going to rewrite the dna of our species for for such.
2: <laughs> oh man it, it, it'll be it'll be interesting and i you know i think that what is most likely to happen in my mind is that apple will do it in their apps and maybe some like ios nine only apps may do it but again, until this is more widely available in the iPhone user base that it's going to be limited at first just based on, you know, the number of things that are out there and, and, and what makes sense. You know, I think I think the other thing to remember here is, you know, Apple's has done a, a lot of new things in iOS and OS ten over the years that, you know, developers try and then, you know, some it, it's it works for some apps and works for some developers, but it doesn't work for others. So, you know, things aren't as as widely spread as they may seem. I think extensions are a good example of this, where extensions make a lot of sense for certain types of apps. And I think that a lot of other apps that they don't make sense, you just don't see them, you know, for those. And so uh, I kind of have faith that at least good third-party developers will will know what to do, and it will sort of uh, level out into a thing that makes sense. But there's always going to be those edge cases that it's like, what are you doing with this? Why... You know, why is your uh, retweet button behind a, a force touch, but I keep using Twitter apps as if they're going to continue to exist, but that's fine. It's a different topic.
0: <laughs> this week's episode is also brought to you by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's my favorite way, it's the favorite way of many, and it's simply because hover, make it easy. They make it easy for you to go in and choose a domain that you want. They have a really great search system where you can just go on to hover.com. You can type uh, the domain you're looking for or some keywords and they'll make some great suggestions. They display all of the TLDs that are available. They show you the ones that are taken if you just need to know that. Uh, You can get all of the domain options that you are used to using. You can get .com, .co, .me, .net dot uh, us dot They also have a bunch of the TLDs that you will have heard of, like dot limo, dot diamond, dot academy, dot fish, if uh, that's kind of the types of maybe I think they do a dot CEO as well. If you need any of those. For serious or jokey reasons. Maybe you need .xyz like like uh, Google does now. You can get all of those TLDs from hover.com. But also, one of the other things that I love about Hover is their domain tools are really easy to use. Um, I, I find this stuff to be confusing at the best of times, but they do a good job of laying it all out in a nice, easy-to-understand interface, and they have a bunch of great guides and, and documentation on how to use this stuff. Uh, but as well as that stuff, you can also, as I needed to recently, as when I uh, entered some information wrong into the domain system and couldn't work out what I'd done, I could contacted Hover's great support. I sent them an email and they got back to me really quickly and they told me what I needed to do. Um, it was really awesome of them. They just said, oh no, you just need to do this, this and this and it will work nice, nicely for you. And they were very helpful and they were very speedy at that, which was very useful. Hover also have a no hold, no wait, no transfer telephone support policy. So you can give them a call and they can help you as well. And you'll be able to get answers out of the person that you speak to. They're not going to pass you around from department to department. Um, Hover, their t- prices are really great. Their .com domains start at twelve ninety nine, and They include privacy for free with all of the domains that support it. Uh, because Hover believe that your private information should stay private. They don't uh, make your they don't make you pay for it. That kind of thing, which kind of seems a bit crazy that somebody would make you pay for for, for the fact to keep your private information private when you're giving them money anyway. But uh, that's something that other companies do make you do. But Hover, they give you who is privacy for. Hover also have their valet service they'll take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider because they'll do it all for you no matter how many domains that you have they also do volume discounts for bulk domain renewal, custom email addresses storage and forwarding and so much more, so go to hover.com and you can try them out for yourself, you'll want to use the code SUMMERTIME, one word at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for this show, thank you so much to Hover for sponsoring this week's episode. Right, so let's talk. We're going to uh, ask Federico some questions about his iOS 9 review um, in a moment. But I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, the difference of the beta on the iPad and the iPhone so far, as I've just installed mm-hmm. it on my iPhone. And then we can sure. talk a little bit about uh, Federico's current experiences with writing his iOS 9 review. Is that is that fair? Guys, yes, so uh, one of the first things I want to mention is I've I've had the, the beta on my phone for about a week, and I'm not gonna say it, my phone <laughs> is starting to run really hot, and that is, I'm worried about it, I'm really scared.
1: <laughs> you, you didn't do the clean install, no, thing. did not okay, did not do a clean install,
0: uh, and I can't fully pin down what scenarios this is happening in. Uh, but sometimes my phone just runs really hot, like too hot to touch kind of hot. <laughs> uh, oh <my> goodness. Yeah, <laughs> which is... That's, um, that's fine. It, yep, it's fine. It's fine. It's interesting. I think it might be audio related uh, because I think uh, my battery life has been fine, um, but I also think that when I'm um, listening to podcasts and stuff like that, uh, or listening to music, the battery runs down quickly, and it would make sense if those two things are related—that um, it's running hot and the battery's draining, right? So maybe it's an audio thing right now in in this in uh, beta nine. Beta nine. Are you are you 5. streaming streaming
1: music or audio to a Bluetooth speaker or nope. headphones? Nope. So through okay. the speaker of the iPhone. Yes. Okay.
2: I mean, my, my my six plus will get warm uh, doing audio. Just done. I'm running yeah. iOS 8.4, but definitely not too hot to touch. Not so hot that it could I could cook breakfast on the back of it.
0: I'm not cooking on um, it, but it's like I can feel the heat with my case on, and then I take the case off, and it hurts to, to touch it. That's not. <laughs> that's that's, fine. that's so not I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> you don't listen to music as you
2: fall asleep. Your house might burn down.
0: Uh, that's a good idea. I won't do that.
2: Uh, so, I get what you're asking though about. I'm not running it on my phone yet, as I said, but in, in looking at iOS nine, I spent a lot of time with it on my iPad Air two, which I really, really like what they're doing there. iOS nine feels very, very much like an iPad release, and so is does it feel all that new and all that
0: like uh, fancy on the iPhone? So for me, I mean, I think that Federico is more likely to feel different because. For his review, he's, I assume, pushing iOS 9 to its limits on both devices, where I'm just kind of using it like I would have used my phone before, right? And for me, uh, the beta... Basically, iOS 9 feels smaller on the iPhone than it does on the iPad. Like, many of the enhancements feel like small jumps, like maps adds transit, which is great, but... It's massive. Like, it's not like they've redefined the game. They've added transit. I've actually found whilst there are some good things about Google's transit stuff and Apple's transit stuff, they miss things from each other. So, like, Google Maps doesn't have the the great exit um, and entrance uh, marking that um, the Apple Maps transit stuff does. So, like, marking where entrances to train stations are is really, really useful because sometimes it will just, well, on Google Maps, it just plunks the pin down in the middle of the station where when they're underground, that is completely unhelpful because it doesn't show me where I need to go in and it actually can make a difference, if anything, just for annoyance. But what I've found is that Google Maps uh, has a greater understanding and support for the accurate, up-to-date train information where Apple Maps... Basically, there was a disturbance on a train line that I was using um, this weekend where it was facing severe delays and um, actually wasn't running at a certain point, And Google Maps saw that and Apple Maps didn't see that. And it reported on it later in the day when I checked again. But that information I need to know immediately. I, like if, if I'm looking and it's happening now... I need to know that that's the case because that is a difference in the route that I'm going to take. And if I would have got to the train station and having looked at Apple Maps and not known that was going to happen, that is annoying to me. Where Google Maps shows that stuff immediately, um, which is, you know, extremely useful. Uh, I also find that that, that Apple Maps still has some other ways to go in a bit more like up to the minute, when is the next train leaving type of stuff, which is really useful for Google Maps. So I'm still trying them both out. I'm like using them in in parallel to see what it's like there. Uh, The revised search page is fine. I am finding myself using the recently used app stuff. Sometimes when I pull down to do a spotlight search, A lot of the times the app that I want is in there, um, which, you know, again, that's one of the other big features. I haven't seen use out of any of the assistant stuff after a week. Maybe it still needs more time, but uh, none of that has. uh, I'm not seeing any um, like travel reminder, like travel alerts that are useful.
1: (laughs) You're not going to get travel reminders there. I'm sorry, Mike.
0: I thought that it comes up in Siri to tell you the oh your next thing or where am I where am I supposed to see that then where am I going to get you, those alerts You do
1: get you do get the the calendar alerts for the time to leave notifications
0: uh, Yeah I haven't had any time to leave notifications yet
1: You got basically the problem there is that if you create an event with a location with an address you got to manually set the alert as a time to leave alert in the calendar (laughs)
0: yeah that's that's not very helpful assistant (laughs) yeah and
1: and even if you do i've been trying all my location-based events with uh, the time to leave notifications they are super early for me like i can be there in 10 minutes i get a notification like 40 minutes before which is not really useful. According to Apple, it's looking at traffic information. It's looking at your location. So either it gets my location wrong, or it gets traffic in Rome completely wrong. But they've been, they have been firing off super early for me, which is not exactly helpful. But otherwise, if you got like, I I use Gmail, and uh, I, I've been using Google now as a comparison. When I when I have like hotel receipts in my email. Google is able to parse on its own what I'm going to do. So it knows I'm going to be in the Amalfi Coast and it's showing me the weather, it's showing me the hotel reservation, it's showing me the hotel location and other information about the opening hours. It knows just by looking at an email. Whereas the search page of iOS 9, configured with the same email account in the Apple Mail app, it knows nothing. So, either it doesn't want to know, or it's not capable of knowing, I don't know, but I again, I open Google now, I see that kind of stuff, just based on my email, I open the iOS 9 intelligence page, I see nothing about that. Potentially, that's a problem, but maybe, I don't know, maybe people don't care, I care, it is nice in Google, It's very nice in Google, but it doesn't seem as clever as Google.
0: So um, some of the other stuff, like San Francisco uh, is the biggest change for me. The font makes everything look new, uh, and I love it, and I want all my apps to have it. Um, I am embracing the keyboard. uh, I'm not making any of the changes. I don't have the popover on anymore. Like I'm embracing all of that, and I like it. Yes,
2: yeah, um, yeah, so so real quickly, for people who haven't used it, what what is new about
0: the the keyboard in iOS nine? So one of the big things is that it doesn't, when you tap a character, it doesn't pop up with the, yeah, the the preview of the character anymore in that like magnification way to show you what you've hit. I just trust that the iPhone knows what I'm hitting, and it does. Yeah. um there's also shift key stuff which get, confuses me like the changes because there have been some more changes that i still don't fully understand but my favorite thing is it's the key caps so yes. i uh i now know when shift is enabled because it's lowercase or, or uppercase characters and i like that i think the lowercase character <laughs> keyboard looks nice i know a many lot of people, people hate it with a passion yeah <laughs> yeah but but i like it i like it a lot
1: I don't know, it feels like one of those, like, designer dogmas, whereas people people hate on this feature on principle, because the iOS keyboard and the Mac keyboard has always been uppercase, therefore Mm -hmm. it should remain uppercase for eternity, I don't agree, it's very practical, you hit the the shift key and it's lowercase, or maybe it's uppercase, you just see what's going on, you know, and it... It feels more natural. I mean, it's a software keyboard. One of the advantages is to be able to change the keyboard via software. But a lot of people are super upset about this.
0: Yep. Um, I think the biggest thing for me here, though, is that there are enhancements, but there's nothing groundbreaking like there was for iOS 8, like extensions. Like it doesn't feel to me here like there's anything big. I'm hearing Federico saying the big stuff is no, 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 is the saying. iPad that's where the groundbreaking stuff is yeah. Yeah. um the split views, the picture in picture like this is where the really big leaps are, and I'm kind of okay with the fact that it's an iPad release, like I'm fine with it, um but it's just not the pace that we've seen year over year. Yeah. Um, and this may be an enhancement year, and this may be the first time that we get a TikTok, and this is how it's going to be now. Also fine with, but just basing it upon the history that we've had, um, it's it's different. And if in five years' time we look back at this as being the first year where they did, you know, just enhancements and then big changes, I'm fine with it, but I'm just saying comparing it to the last seven releases, it's it's very different.
1: In a, in a lot of ways, and especially on the iPhone, I agree with you, by the way, it feels like this year we get the calm before the storm that I assume iOS 10 is going to be, because the, the features that we're getting on the iPhone, like the, the the improved notes app, the new font, the low power mode the improved stati- statistics for battery consumption the you know the the, the general polish uh, across apps and, and new settings it feels like they're sort of wrapping up work that began last year with iOS 8 before whatever's coming up next with iOS 10 which I assume is going to be a pretty big change and on the I- well on the iPad you could see the the more the, the more groundbreaking stuff with the multitasking on the iPhone it's a bunch of nice features they're not exactly revolutionary they're potentially gonna be massive changes if the intelligent stuff pans out like Apple wants to or you know all all these other uh, these other features for improved performance with apps being capable of you know, consuming energy in a different way, and the dev- and the developer features of being able to release apps on the App Store just to specific devices with Bitcode and that other kind of stuff. On the iPhone, it feels like a, a collection of nice changes and much necessary fixes and improvements. And on the iPad, it's more okay. We really need to rethink this device, and I agree with that. But I, I and I wonder like. People like us, we were, were in love with, you know, the, like San Francisco and these typographic changes. I wonder if most people will ever actually notice the different yeah, I font. Know. I don't
0: know.
1: I, there's so many details in San Francisco and I try to cover them in what I'm writing, but I, I fear, not, maybe not fear. I just worry that maybe, you know, those changes won't be as appreciated by most people as we appreciate them which is fine because you know typography it's very niche market i guess and what matters i think for san francisco is that it contributes to the bottom line of readability and you know better layouts for developers and apps and more readable text if if it accomplishes that goal that even if people don't notice even if they subconsciously notice the improvements i guess that's okay
0: so, we should probably, Steve, unless you have anything else, we should probably start, we should probably move into talking about the review on <laughs> in a little bit more depth. Mm-hmm. Works for me. Okay, let me just take a break first, and then we've got a clear runway to talk about Federico's uh, current status on his iOS 9 review. <laughs> This week's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. You can start building your website today at squarespace.com and you want to use the code WORLD at checkout and you'll get yourself 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. When it comes to giving yourself a home on the internet, Squarespace is the place. Because they put all the power that you need right into the palm of your hands, onto your fingertips as well even as you're typing... On your keyboard, and take away the pain points that you don't want to have to worry about. Things like hosting, scaling, what to do if you get stuck with something, or even having to know or put into skill uh, coding. Like if if you don't know how to to build a website from scratch, or you don't, you know, this isn't something you want to learn when you just want to put that blog that you've been looking for into action or you want somewhere to host the store that you've been building to sell your artwork or for your portfolio or whatever reason you may want a Squarespace site for maybe for an upcoming event or wedding you want to set up a lovely website use their cover pages to do that you can use all that stuff or maybe you do know but you just don't want the aggravation of building something and then maintaining it yourself which is perfectly fine and I think really especially if this is sort of stuff that you do for a living you know like having to do it again when you get home as well I don't know it seems kind of crazy to me i don't know if some people may want to do that stuff but you don't have to worry about it like squarespace does enable you to get in and tinker around with stuff if you want to make tweaks to make things just the way that you want but it's the idea that you don't have to build everything for like you don't have to build a cms you don't have to build blog templates you don't have to build all of the crazy you don't have to build dns you don't have to do any of this stuff like you just don't have to worry about any of it you can just use Squarespace's great tools. They're powerful tools as well. They power millions of websites around the web uh, from individuals to big companies. Squarespace makes sure that your site will remain secure and powerful and well-hosted and everything. And up-to-date, they just take care of all of it. And this is stuff that you don't have to worry about if you're a Squarespace user. They also have 24-7 live chat and Email support. So if you need any help, they have teams located all around the world to help you. They all all of uh, Squarespace's fantastic templates feature responsive design, so make sure that your site looks great on all manner of devices. They have tons of great templates. They have some that are uh, tailored to be used by specific uh, type of industries or for specific uses, but you can use any of them because they're all customizable. And you can uh, enable and disable the functionality that you need and don't need. They have the commerce platform, which we use at Relay FM to sell t-shirts. And stickers in our own store um, is the same as we, our blog is a Squarespace blog because these are things that we want but don't want to have to build and maintain. Um, this is what Squarespace is so fantastic at because they build this stuff better than we're ever going to, so we use Squarespace for it. If you want to stretch Squarespace further, as I mentioned, their dev platform is available to you. So, I mean, I just want to underline this. You know, I mean, I talk about how easy it is, but if you want to tinker around with stuff and just uh, Take use of some of the great features that they have, but want to build some stuff for yourself or push it into different directions. You can do all of that, and it's now available to you to take further than ever before. If you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you'll get yourself a free domain name as well. So it's you know you can give the you get the whole package here, if if that's the kind of thing that you're after. Squarespace plans start at just eight dollars a month, and you can sign up right now. With a free trial, there's no credit card required to do this, and you can start building your website straight away by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code World at checkout. You'll be supporting this show and getting yourself ten percent of your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Right, so Federico, how is the review going? How far into it are you at this point?
1: Uh... I think I'm approaching 50% of the, the sections that I want to cover. I'm leaving on Thursday morning and I set a goal for myself to leave with the iPad section, which is probably the biggest of the review, being done by Wednesday night. I'm not sure if I'll manage to finish by tomorrow night uh, because there's still quite a few things that I want to cover and i split the final part of the ipad section in three mini sections which i think will wrap up the discussion on ipad nicely uh but i'm not sure because i i'm finishing the the actual uh features like the actual cha- talking about the actual changes on the ipad today uh, with the keyboard talk for software and hardware, and then it's this final section split up in three subsections uh, i'm not sure if i'll manage to finish to to tonight and tomorrow uh, but the I'm trying to i try to to cover beforehand the big stuff so i've already done design I've already done notes, and i'm gonna be done soon with iPad. And the reason I did this is I want to come back from vacation. I'm, I'm pretty sure I won't, I won't write anything on vacation. Uh, because, you know, I, I need to, I need a time off, but maybe, maybe if I can, if I can be inspired enough couple of hours each night before bed, maybe I can get to write, you know, a few sentences here and there. But otherwise, I want to come back from vacation and have like a solid 10 days to wrap up all the rest. And I, and I, and I left the smaller changes, the smaller features for, and of course the conclusion for, you know, the end of August and the first week of September. I want to be done with the text and the images and everything by September 9, which is when Apple is rumored to have an event. I don't think iOS 9 will be released on the day of the event, but you never know, so I want to be ready. And I saved the... Like I said, the other things like Safari changes and like reminders, podcasts, iCloud Drive, all these other minor features or additions or changes to the OS for after the vacation. So I want to leave and have and have the 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 most important things done, and I struggle to get started on the on the iPad section because I, I really wanted to find an angle that I could work that I could work on to you know kind of develop the entire story of the iPad. And once I was done with that last week, it kinda I, I kind of just followed everything from there. I'm still using my mind map to organize all the, the outline of the review to and every time I go through a topic and it's done I close the branch of the, of the mind map so I know that I'm done with it I'm still making a note of every problem that I mentioned that it's still not fixed in beta 5 I created a checklist of problems and issues that I need to double check before publishing the review in September I don't know if it'll, that'll be a beta 6 or if it goes straight up to GM but I have a list of problems that I need to you know, basically check again if there's still problems or not And as I write, I tend to, I always forget things, like little details of stuff that I need to mention uh, in the review. For example, I forgot to, I forgot to have a paragraph about FaceTime, FaceTime support in Picture in Picture on the iPad, because I only covered video. And today I was getting started to write about the, the, the hardware keyboard in the iPad on the iPad and I and I was like, oh yeah, I, for- I forgot about FaceTime in, in the in the picture in picture because it's also an option. So I went to the in editorial, I went to the to the picture in picture section and I just wrote a sentence about FaceTime. I didn't write the actual paragraph. So I know when I'm in the in the first when I will be done with the review. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna write all these small paragraphs and sections that I missed before the first proofreading section, uh, session, sorry. And. I don't want the reason why I don't wanna I don't wanna go back to each to each section now is I wanna be done with the main text first. Then I can do the smaller things that I forgot, and then I can start reading and adding links and and footnotes. The problem that I... so this is the current state. I'm I'm almost done with the iPad section. And I'm trying to to save the, the, the conclusion, of course, as the, you know, the final thing that I write. Although I still have an idea of kind of the style that I want to use for the conclusion. Uh, and then I'm trying to save all these other app updates and changes. Uh, and of course, the performance section uh, for the final beta or, you know, if you don't get a beta for really the last available moment. So I can evaluate performance and over time better the problem is um i don't want to i don't want to spoil the word count but it's starting to mike knows (laughs) how much it is right now Um, but it's starting to be quite a lot and (laughs) by uh, i'm already approaching the point where it is longer than the longest article article that I ever published on MacStories. And I'm wondering if for the first time in six years of MacStories, I should split up the review in multiple pages. And the reason that I'm thinking about this is not for the page views. I don't necessarily care about the possible increase in page views. The problem that I came across with editorial two years ago was the review was so long with so many images, so many videos that it caused issues for a lot of people who couldn't open the review in their browsers because the browsers were crashing because the web page was too heavy and in thinking about this problem nowadays our website is much lighter and it's responsive and it's a better reading experience and browsers and mobile devices are more powerful today than two years ago but there's a problem um, it's going to be way longer than the editorial review and it's going to have more images it's going to have animated gifs it's going to have videos there's going to be a lot of resources on the on the page itself and i'm thinking if this is only on a single page What happens if somebody tries to read this review on a mobile network, on 3G or 4G? Do I really want that person to consume all that data on a single page? And most importantly, is that single web page going to offer reasonable performance when scrolling around, when jumping from section to section, when opening footnotes and going back to the body text? My primary concern is that such a long... Piece of text and multimedia is going to be problematic on a single page. And if my reader is not able to have a good experience in reading a single page, then it, it, a single page shouldn't be the default presentation of the review, which is why I'm thinking of going the Syracuse way and splitting the review in relevant pages not necessarily by word count, but by section. So where it makes sense to split up the review in pages, offer an option to read in a single page, because of course that's the right thing to do, but otherwise just split up the review. So it's easier to read, it's easier to follow. It doesn't consume as much mobile data, or wifi, whatever it is that you gotta keep an eye on as it normally would on a single page and be extremely upfront about the reason why it's available on multiple pages rather than a single page by default. So I want to make the default the multiple pages, and I want to make the single page an option.
0: In my opinion, this isn't even a question. That's just what you should do. Hmm. Like, the benefits are so clear. Like, I don't don't know why you would go backwards and forwards on it. Like, it (laughs) just makes sense. It just makes sense. Because editorial... Was it? It crashed Chrome on my phone, like yeah. that. That yeah, review—it was,
2: it was crazy. Like it <laughs> was just
0: really tough. And considering that, I mean, you know, you said you didn't want to get the word count away. You said uh, that you're halfway through, and this is already approaching the size of the biggest article ever published to your site. So, people can infer what that might look like. Uh, and I know that you're halfway through the topics, not necessarily halfway through the words, right? Yes. Yeah. So it could be less, it could be more even. Um, I think that it just makes sense. Give people the button to click it and and crash their web browser if they want to. Uh, (laughs) But I think that this has to be split intersections because plus as a reader for me anyway I find it nicer because I'm able to accomplish this in stages like, Yeah, Like it
1: gives you a sense of place yes. really.
0: because at a certain point I can't judge how much more I have to go because my scroll bar just it becomes you can't make it any smaller mm. right so like the little button the little tic tac in the scroll bar whatever it's supposed to be called uh, that's just going to stop getting small Uh, So it's just going to become impossible for me to understand kind of how much I have left to go here. I always appreciate, as somebody that doesn't like to read extremely long things, uh, just in general, I always really appreciated that with uh, John's reviews, that they were broken up into sections like that. Because plus, I could jump bits that I didn't want to read really easily, like just Mm. stuff that just wasn't relevant to me. It
2: also makes it easier to link back to something in the future. So like yes. I've written about OS ten and, and I refer to something that John wrote in one section and I can link a user directly to a page uh that's the most relevant to what I'm trying to get across. And so there's there's a lot of benefits. Uh I think you should definitely paginate it. Um I do know you guys a couple of years ago when you guys were doing an OS ten review had a PDF for sale. Do you see anything like that going on with your IOS nine review? Mm.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> that was a there's heavy something, sign. there's something again that Mike knows that I'm doing this year, and uh, that is definitely an idea.
2: What does Mike get to but... know all your secrets and not me?
1: <laughs> <You heard my laughs> because <fears>. Mike, <laughs> no, because I feel like. When I'm telling you stuff, it needs to be finalized. Otherwise, you're the adult and you will be upset if it doesn't pan out as it's supposed to work. (laughs) Whereas Mike is more of a youngster and he's open to crazy ideas and stuff. Whereas more, I fear your judgment in a way. In a good way, Steven. (laughs) You know? Like, I tell you when I'm... No, I'm just kidding. I just happen to tell Mike. But, and I'm pretty sure I actually told you. Uh, but anyway, there's, like, uh, it, it's an idea. It, let me just say that it's an idea, a PDF and a EPUB version. Um, I don't know how much you will like, if I finish the review, like, the entire proofreading and the screenshots and the GIFs and the videos, if I'm done two days ahead of the public release, will I have time? to handle the PDF and EPUB conversion, I don't know, uh, can it come later as an option for some readers, maybe, so that's something we're considering, yeah, what I'm struggling with that I kind of want to talk to you guys about, um, like, I, as I told you, I'm like making, setting goals for myself, like, today I want to write this section and then I want to be done with this other section by Wednesday, you know, that kind of progress. And I'm really struggling to not to feel bad about missing those deadlines that I made up for myself. Because maybe I'm writing a section and I realize that I want to that I wanna say less or I want to say more, and then the goal that I originally set in my, in my mind completely is, completely goes away because it you know because maybe I'm late or maybe I'm done super early with this section and like especially considering you know going on vacation and the fact that in the summer I'm not supposed to work as much as I work in the fall and the winter I kind of on multiple occasions I feel bad I don't know if it makes sense and I I wanted to ask if you guys have a system To kind of organize goals, but also to be flexible with those goals and to kind of reset them as you're completing the task or working on the task.
0: I expect Stephen will have a more logical answer than me because my answer of feeling about this stuff is I think you have to feel bad uh like i don't that's just to me it is like no other way to do it because if that doesn't make you feel bad then you won't feel bad if you just don't do the work right like if you're feeling bad even when you've done more work right but you've just done different work that is frustrating but i think that it is a necessary outcome of feeling bad at all like it's just something that you have to Mm accept that you're gonna feel bad if you didn't meet your established goal for the day but yet you have done work that is still useful i mean i have the kind of scenario i'm able to feel a little bit better when i know at least i've been useful in some way like i've done something which has been of use but i still feel bad if i haven't marked all the things off in a day that i wanted to get done in a day but i think that really like just just Feel bad about it, but understand that the reason you feel bad about it is because you care. Uh because if you stop feeling bad about it, then maybe you won't um be able to get it done at all. Like it's just a necessary thing about caring. That's that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: thank you, Mike. No, I think I think it's a really fair way of looking at it, Mike, and I, I definitely resonate with a lot of that. Uh the only thing I would I would add and not so much for my time as like an independent person cuz it's only been a week, but my previous life being a project manager um you on any sort of big project you have sort of known quantities of things. So you know how many hours a day that you can reasonably work. You know uh that Apple's going to have an event September night, so you have a rough idea of when that deadline is. And then you have all the things that are wild cards of, you know, you have these technical questions to answer. You have, hey, you know, there there could really be a drastic change at some point in this. It could be that, uh, you know, I wrote this thing and then like you said, I forgot this section or I didn't outline properly. So I got to go back and rework something. So for me, it's just, it's just trying to get out ahead of all those contingencies um, and having an understanding of what you can control and, you know things that are sort of like almost in your control what you can do to to rein those in, and it sounds like you're doing that like you have a goal of hey, I plan on having the iPad section done before I leave well if if you don't have it done, um it's probably not the end of the world, right You still have time that you already said that's the biggest section, and so I think it's just a matter of finding what you can do in a reasonable in a reasonable way to to try to limit surprises. And whatever that looks like in, in writing an IOS nine review is obviously different than the doing other types of work. But I think the sort of the concept is the same of what can I really handle and make sure it goes my way and how do I prepare for the things that I can't. I think that's a pretty um it's worked well for me in the past, uh at at a normal job, and I think it will hopefully continue to serve me well now. And hopefully you.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Another another thing that I that I struggle with uh, and I think I found a solution for is collecting screenshots during the betas. So since the first beta s nine in June, I've been taking screenshots every day of every single feature or detail or problem that I notice, and I take the screenshot and I left it there in the Photos app. And I, as uh, around the time of beta four, I was I was thinking maybe it is time for me to start organizing these screenshots because maybe I'll have to use them or maybe I'll have to mention a feature that's been changed during the course of the beta. And I was thinking, should I use iCloud Drive? Should I use Dropbox? Should I use one of those dedicated screenshot management apps on the iPhone and iPad? And the more I thought about this problem, the more I I, I realized I was creating a problem for myself. So I just Created an album in the Photos app, and every time I'm, I take a screenshot that it's relevant to the review, I just drop it there. So it's synced and available across all of my devices, and then I don't have to uh, install a different app and wait for the app to sync because Photos has been really fast in my experience. The only problem is, I would like to be able to move photos from the you know the the all photos screen like the main view of the photos app and to just move them into a folder basically i want to hide those photos from the main view those screenshots actually. So whenever I'm browsing the photos app, I don't want to see the screenshots of iOS 9. And now instead they show up in two places. They show up in the photos view, which is the main screen, and they also show up in the album. So like every time I browse my photos and screenshots, I see them in two places and it's kind of confusing. Uh, And I guess the problem could be fixed by using a a separate app to manage the screenshots, but I really don't want to. Uh, The other... And the final, really, the final, maybe a problem initially, but now I've, I've accepted that it's just the way that I am, um, because I'm taking this more, I would say, complete maybe approach to to the to the review this year. I never really wrote a review of iOS before. It was always like a person, a personal reflection of, of on iOS and tended to be a fairly in-depth and complete look at the new version of iOS, but it was never labeled or treated as a review. Instead this year I'm taking the iOS review approach and I and I go through all the changes that I can personally experience. So by that, I mean I won't be able to test transit directions because I don't live in a city where they are available. But I'm still going to use all the other features that I can test, even if I'm not going to use them every day, such as, I don't know, the podcast app or changes to reminders, that kind of stuff. But I struggled initially to accept the fact that I'm not going to be the kind of reviewer who just describes what's new i'm gonna have thoughts in there and i'm gonna have comments so i'm not i'm i'm not going to describe in super detail what's in multitasking i'm not just gonna do that i'm gonna do that i'm gonna be as objective as possible in describing all the 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 macro changes and all the details and little-known facts. But I'm also going to have an opinion on what's going on. And initially, I struggled with this because I was like, I should be an objective reviewer and I should only describe what's new. And I should only focus on how the features work, what they do, what they're missing. But as I was trying to do this, I I realized that I was forcing myself into a mindset that's not really mine. Because I'm gonna have an opinion anyway. And even if I talk about what's missing, that's a personal motivation behind that anyway. And so the review is gonna be a combination of facts and a combination of detail, I hope, but also opinion and also experience and what it's like to use this, especially because I should, I, I, I guess I should treat the fact that I work from an iPad as an advantage rather than a personal bias. Because it is a personal bias. I mean, I use the iPad every day, so I'm going to have an opinion. But I guess initially I I didn't want to accept this. Instead, now I think I'm lucky in a way because I get to have an opinion that's been formed over the past two to three years. And that's... um. That's a good thing, I I think, and I hope that it comes across, you know, that I that I try to take a look at all the changes and all the features from an analytical perspective, but also from a personal perspective. And I hope it is my hope that it, this kind of flow works in the review. If it doesn't, at least I tried.
2: You know, uh, so you you touched on a really interesting thing, something that I think uh, a good bit about about the objectivity angle of things and right you go um and you listen to people who have done like hardcore traditional journalism and they say you know you cannot be subjective it, it, journalism requires objectivity so you can tell the actual story and i think that's true but i think that something like an Iowa Sound Review is something different than objective uh reporting on on an event or on a on some sort of news story so i, I think that your balance of you know explaining the features and then and then giving your opinion and your thoughts on them that, like you said, have been formed over the last several years of using this day in and day out to to pay your bills your job is only possible because of this technology that gives you a unique insight and frankly that that unique insight is why people come to Mac Stories it's why people are going to open their review in the first place because they hey Federico's the iPad guy, and I want to see what he thinks about this. And so I, I don't, I don't know if I would let, if I were you, I wouldn't let that keep me up at night of, of where that line is of, of what should be objective and what shouldn't be. And, and, uh, because a, you can go crazy trying to figure out like what the right answer is because I don't think there is a right answer, <laughs> but I think too, that, that you're in something like a review, your opinion is what matters the most, right? So you, you can say, Hey, I was nine disease, 10 new things. It's really great. Well, then why not just go to Apple's website? Why not just go read any other website on the planet that is going to put a bulleted list of what is new in iOS 9? What you bring to the table is that unique perspective. And so I think that you should share it and I, and, and I'm looking forward to reading it. I uh fully anticipate reading this on my iPad. <laughs> Thank you. And uh and uh seeing what you what you have to say about it because I value your opinion in this more than anyone else is. And I think there are a lot of people out there that agree with me on that.
0: And Federico, I saw you tweeting about this the other day. This is the first time you've done the entire review on an iPad, right? Yes. Like, yeah. everything, everything. Everything. What was the last bastion to fall?
1: There's there's nothing in this review coming from a Mac.
0: But what had been, like, last year, for example?
1: Last year, for example, um, I did some proofreading on my Mac. I had to. Most importantly, I needed to upload images from my MacBook because I didn't have a workflow for uh, image uploads to our CDN. Oh, yeah. and I remember talking year, about that.
2: How uh, you had yeah, you had yeah. several different workflows, and they kept breaking. And
1: yes, <laughs> that, and in, instead this year I, I'm. In fact, the workflow that I have on my iPad and the iPhone it wouldn't be, po- uh, uh, maybe it would be possible, but it wouldn't be as easy or as fast or as integrated with the system as it is on OS 10, as it is on iOS 8 or 9. So I'm actually, it's actually better this year. It went from nothing to better, which is pretty good. Anything else? I just want to be done with this. (laughs) But I'm also kind of, I'm trying to enjoy the, the experience. You know, I'm trying to enjoy the fact that every time I write, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I have, I'm trying to find the joy in like having a story throughout the review. There's a bunch of, themes that I try to introduce at the beginning of the article and'm tr- and, uh, and I'm having fun developing those threads throughout the story, throughout the review, and kind of going back to those and kind of mentioning mentioning them in multiple sections, uh, trying these few core themes and ideas and it's uh, it, it is fun to be able to observe how at least my mind works in connecting those themes to what's new. And maybe for some people it'll be another case of, oh my God, Federico writes too much, or is too verbose, He, he explains too much, or he finds some kind of technological romanticism in some things that are just, you know, a bunch of zeros and ones and that's okay uh uh, you know again people are always free not to read but i i always go back to the question do i want to write the website that is about you know describing what's new and be done with it and just like you know i'm I'm done i don't care give me the page views or do i want to understand why people made made something whether it's a device or an app or no s this way because of such and such reasons that's what i want to do so hopefully it'll work out even at a at a larger scale this year that's my hope we'll see right now i just want to go on vacation <laughs> and take some time off
0: well i hope that uh <laughs> I hope that you're able to actually relax, although I'm sure you'll be working as well. Yeah,
1: and I'm just trying to, like, convince myself, Uh but I know that I'm going to take notes. Or at least take notes or write something, like, at night. Because I'm very weird when, like, when I'm inspired and I got this sentence that I really want to write down. I'm like, okay, I just want to write down this, this sentence and then I'll take a bunch of notes. And I end up writing, like, a section. Uh So... We'll see.
0: Cool. I think that about wraps up this week. If you'd like to find our show notes on the internet, you can do that at relay.fm slash connected slash 52. Um, I want to thank our sponsors again for helping us out this week. That's Fracture, Hover, and Squarespace. And we will be back next week. If you want to find us online, you can do that. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes at maxstories.net. Stephen is at ISMH on Twitter, and he writes over at 512pixels.net. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.